Chris Kelser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Run, Matt and I return to the MCU experience in the theaters with Black Widow. After 22 films, seven of which she is featured, and one where she dies, Scarlett Johansson's Natasha Romanoff finally gets her own film. Or does she? Then our domination by Disney continues with Pixar's latest debuting exclusively on Disney+, Plus, Luca. Sea monsters, kids, Italy... What more can you ask for? There's the big rundown of the big releases on physical media, featuring your straight to DVD and streaming picks of the week. And then Matt and I are going to close out the show by sharing five Marvel characters that we think deserve their own film. We're looking at you, Spot. All right, let's start everything off with a clip from Black Widow. It still fits. Oh my god. I never washed it once. Come and drink. Rise, you workers of salvation. Family. Back together again. Seeing as her family construct was just a calculated ruse that only lasted three years. I don't think that we can use this this term anymore, can we? Agreed. So here's what's gonna happen. Okay, reunion then, huh? And uh, I want to say something right off the bat. You haven't aged a day, huh? You're just as beautiful and as supple as the day they staged our marriage. You got fat, but still good. So, man, I think that clip perfectly kind of encapsulates one of my big issues with that film. Not only is it just dirty at times, but mostly it's the fact that after, as we said, 22 films, seven she features in, she is no longer the sidekick. Mm -hmm. So I guess first off, was it worth the wait after all this time to finally get that solo Black Widow film? And do you have any issues like I did where she's again, though, in an ensemble piece and it's not mm. so much a focus on her what are your thoughts okay well do you want me to break down the plot sure that's a great idea <laughs> usually i ask you that first so what is black widow all about sure so um natasha romanoff she as you learned in i believe age of ultron a little bit of her past about how she was trained as a child to become a killer and was basically psychologically conditioned to kind of do these things without uh, remorse. We find out that she was undercover as a child in the U.S. Um, before she went there. Um, she had a kind of built-together family, and they were taken away and um, subjected to all these things where she determines that, you know what, she has some unfinished business and she wants to take care of the Red Room and the man who made her what she is um, where she kind of reconnects with some air quotes family along the way. Thank you, Matt. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Is it worth the wait? And does the film do her justice? Okay. So first I never considered black widow, a side character. I always, she always was one of these characters that like you said, is in the ens- ensemble, much like Hawkeye, uh, much like war machine, Although I think she's much more important than either of those characters. And I think she gives those, she gets that focus in a lot of those films and she feels very connected into it. So I, I never really got the, 
the like kind of outrage or felt like she really needed her own film and like she was being done this huge disservice because I felt like she was such a a big part of the franchise, even bigger than I think a lot of the quote unquote major characters. I think you could probably name half a dozen more characters that uh, she's more important that are in the, you know, in the MCU. And for this, I may have had a problem with it, but I enjoyed the ensemble around her so much. And it's kind of weird because you know what the end game is. <laughs> um for her in this um because you know that she's died in the current timeline right so Mm. they're setting up for florence Pugh's kind of takeover of the role and i think that's all very important if this had been come out before endgame before we knew it was going to happen to her i think those criticisms would have been more valid but this is kind of like her swan song give her moment but also step aside at the same time for people are going to be taking over the role and we got to know who they are i think as a torch handoff I think it works well and it gets the job done by introducing Pew's character. I don't know if she'll be the Black Widow or maybe the White Widow. I don't, it doesn't matter. But it's more concerned with, I think, that than perhaps telling a really great, captivating story featuring the Black Widow. It's an ensemble film in the end, just like you said. And though, granted, I think some of the players are great. I mean, we love David Harbour, right? We love Rachel Weisz. You know, Pew, of course, is a first-run favorite. So it's, I don't know. I just feel like even in the end, when she's, I, you know, she's Captain America's, maybe it's not fair to say this, but she's Captain America's sidekick in those films, right? In Winter Soldier, uh, Civil War, Iron Man 2, when she first shows up, she's a supporting character as well. And I just thought maybe she would have, I don't know, she just didn't have the main presence in this film that I thought maybe she deserved after having the weight for 22 movies, you know, and what, 10 plus years, they could have done a side adventure film with her at any point, and they never did. And now that her character is no longer part of it, we do this retroactive thing where we give her an adventure, kind of spike out her origin a little bit, and then we introduce the ability to carry on um, with Florence Pugh's character. I don't know, it just felt a little bit like a disservice to me, to her and the character itself. Yeah, I mean, I I got to disagree with you a little bit there just because I think the reason people wanted it to be more like this and the way you're kind of framing this the way that you are is because she was like the first major female superhero in these films, in this mm-hmm. franchise. Because nobody, again, nobody's making this argument about Hawkeye. Nobody's making this argument about Don Cheadle and War Machine, right? And they are getting their own shows, but like nobody had this kind of like, why don't they have their own movie kind of thing, you know, like they do with, with Scarlett Johansson and Black Widow. And I don't think that's because of the character necessarily. That's because of kind of the broader thing that she represents, right? Because she was kind of the the woman in the boys club of this kind of franchise. And that's what you have to hang your hat on. And I think if you really step back about it, ultimately they delivered a, a, an entertaining film. I kind of connected with them. I kind of liked the whole you know, and maybe it was a little cheesy, um, but the whole connection of family and they are who you make who they are and kind of things like that. And at the same time, if we bring this into real life, Scarlett Johansson is such a powerful actress. I'm sure she had quite a bit of say in how this worked out. And I, and I don't, and I have a hard time thinking that if she had a real problem with it or the way it was written, that it wouldn't, that it would have come out the way it did. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. Right. So I think 
this should have happened earlier. I agree with you, but I don't think it's because of because Black Widow is such a great iconic character or anything like that. I think it's because of what she represented in this franchise. I I think it's I have to push back a little bit on that. I don't think that's the case. Because I think she is such a presence in Captain America Winter Soldier. I think more so than, you know, obviously respect for Don Cheadle, but any War Machine stuff like an Iron Man 2 um, or any of that stuff. I think she is almost a co-lead in that film more so than I think Cheadle is clearly a supporting character. And same with Hawkeye. Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye hasn't really been a presence of, of any magnitude or, or, or force in okay. any of the films. Well, and so, okay, so if you're going to define her as a co-lead, because I felt, you're right, I felt like those films were just as much her movie and Captain as Captain America as Chris Evans' movies. Is it just because her name's not on the marquee? It's just, just because it's not, it's, it's not, it's, specifically it's not Captain Winter America Soldier. and Black Widow and the, and, and the Winter Soldier is what it should have been? I mean, hell, you know, Bucky's in it less than, than she is. I mean... I, I agree with you. I always felt like she was a co-lead in those films. I felt like she, except for the Avengers films, I thought she was such a, a big presence that it never really, it never really seemed weird to me that she didn't have her own film. I don't know. I just, I thought she was really good in what she was in. I always enjoyed watching her work or everything like that. I just, I don't know. The character seemed to fit the way that they had it because I mean, we, it, it worked well, I think. And it's just a I think that this worked well too. Sorry. And it's, just, Go ahead. and it's just a coincidence that it's like the first real female character that superhero that they had. Well, I mean, what about Captain Marvel though, right? Well, um, yeah, but they took them a long time to get that going. And then I we understand. don't even talk about the fanboy backlash against Brie Larson and Captain Marvel. Well, right. But I mean, but... they can do big grand films with formerly minor characters. Look at the Guardians of the Galaxy series. Nobody cared about the Guardians of the I Galaxy am... before that film. I understand that that's because of the product that they delivered on the, on the, on the screen. Right. Mm. Um, and I think honestly, I hear what you're saying, Chris, but even as much as we are saturated with Marvel, Black Widow's not, is not, is not Thor, is not Hulk. You know, they got Spider-Man back. So that had to, you know, they had, they got all these huge, massive characters and I don't care what anybody says. Black Widow is not, is like, the same as Moon Knight, you know, she's a, she's a relatively minor character. She's comics, tied to the, sure. yeah. So she's, if they're kind of going with that kind of stuff, I mean, I'm okay with it. And like, they're bringing stuff around. We're going to have WandaVision was obviously focused on the Scarlet Witch and the Vision, but it was focused on the Scarlet Witch. You know, we have Ironheart coming up based on a female Iron Man. We're going to have a Ms. Marvel series based on Kamala Khan version of Ms. Marvel. Um, it sounds like Haley Steinfeld's taking over for Hawkeye. I think these things are really kind of moving forward. And honestly, when you're doing two to three films a year at the, at, you know, when this was all kind of kicking off and you're kind of getting your, you don't have X-Men and you don't have Spider-Man, your two biggest properties. I think you're going to lean into what you have. And honestly, I think a lot of that was business decision. And I can't really fault them for that either. That brings me to my next criticism about the film. I'm wondering what you feel about this. Because I would have liked more of a spy thriller mm -hmm. film with maybe some, though I hate to say this now because cinema seems to be infected with it, just like it was with Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. But more like a John Wicky thing where the, sure. the film focuses on her and right. the spy thriller thing. Now, granted, it make it harder to do the handoff with Florence Pugh, but mm -hmm. still... I think one of the big, big, I don't know if I should use that term, but one of the challenges I have with the film is 
again, I think the movie is held back by the MCU assembly line template. I think that it felt a little perfunctory at times and just another kind of, here's your solid quality MCU movie to enjoy, right? Again, nothing. Now I'm curious to see, you know, what James Gunn does when he returns to the Guardians. But outside of the Guardians of the Galaxy films and I think Ragnarok, right? For the most part, they kind of follow this template. And this one really feels kind of assembly line Marvel to me. What do you think? See, that's such a weird... I mean, I get it. Um, I get what people are saying when they say the kind of Marvel assembly line. And I get that there's some fatigue around it. But it seems like such a disingenuous, weird thing to complain about saying, oh, well, here was a competent, well-made, entertaining popcorn flick. But I'm mad about that. I'd rather it be have it taken a risk and be like the DC films where most of them are middling to bad. Right. Well, like I don't want to risk like DC does and make a good one. Like DC can't. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I felt like, like Ragnarok that doesn't follow the template at all. I, well, what does the template really mean? What does the template mean to you? I always kind of struggle with this. Like, what is it that the template is like, is it, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm really curious as to what are the things that we point to that are the template. It's it's a kind of mostly generic kind of script. And then with these, with a, the canvas being held up by these action scenes that are mostly just, okay, they're pretty good. And then another thing too that this film struggles with is lots of cuts during the action scenes, particularly the first fight with Taskmaster on the bridge. We get a lot of editing in that, which I don't really care for. I'm not, I know it's a style I understand, I think, for some people. But I, I'd like to just bring the camera back and let's actually watch the fight scene instead mm-hmm. of cutting from all these different angles all the time. Mm-hmm. But it just I'm not sure, Matt, if I can really put a finger around. There's just a feel to it that all these films kind of have the same vibe. And I think that even came out, there was, oh, I read this on Twitter the other day, there was a female director that was lined up for one of the films and she turned it down because they said, we want you to just direct all the interpersonal stuff. Don't worry about the action scenes. We'll take care of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's how it is, that they have these these line directors to do these particular things. And that's why, listen, Figi and MCU, they have a product. They want a consistent, entertaining product to put out, which mm-hmm. makes sense to me on a commercial sense, right? Mm-hmm. You, you go to McDonald's in Nebraska, you want the same experience if you go to McDonald's in Mexico, right? I, mm-hmm. I get that. But then that's what what happens here. And I think just after a while, it just gets kind of like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a quarter pounder. We get it. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but... Again, and, and here's the weird thing. I didn't love this movie, but I'm defending it a lot more than and Marvel in general. But it's like reading a Marvel comic book. When you pick up a Marvel comic book, you know what you're going to get, at least to an extent, right? right? They have like their, their, you know, Marvel is known for having heroes that are flawed. They have interpersonal relationships. They have conflict and that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, not so much now, but... Still, to an extent where DC is, these characters are larger than life. They're essentially gods. They're basically perfect. You know, that's, those are kind of the the in-house styles of these things. And whether you agree with it or not, I mean, honestly, I would rather have the the most middling Marvel fare is at least consistent. And to use your analogy, 
I can go to McDonald's, you know, brightly lit. I can get my quarter pounder and I can feel that bit of nostalgia eating it. Um, or I can drive to, you know, Snyderville. I can go to this like back alley barbecue place and maybe it'll be good like Shazam or maybe I'll get food poisoning like Batman versus Superman. I don't yeah. really know. Like, so <laughs> I, true. I, I, I mean, there's something to be said for the consistency. Yes. It's kind of like comfort food. Honestly, I don't know how much longer they can do this kind of thing. I mean, I think even for me who enjoys the product for the most part, like it does seem like we're seeing like, at what point does this really start to get stale? But I don't think I feel like that sort of happened to me with this film. Yeah. Again, I would say I'm not familiar with the director. I don't really um, know her other work. You know, I thought it did have some parts in it that I felt like she was trying to, especially kind of like the beginning scenes um, that she was trying to kind of put her own stamp on how this thing Mm -hmm. would look, whether she was successful or not, I guess that's up for debate, but yeah, I don't know. I I guess I view this necessarily. I think with Marvel films, you're going to get ones that are just that are okay. And that are just not great. And they're just not for everybody. Like I'm a big fan of the Ant-Man series, but a lot of people aren't like, I really like those films, but a lot of people aren't. And that's not their thing. I think universally we say that Thor, the dark world is the worst one, but I watched it the recently it's not good, but it's not bad. It's not as bad as the superhero films that I've seen. I mean, it may be underwhelming and forgettable, but it's not bad while you're watching it kind of thing. Well, I think Hell, we all agree that Paul Rudd and Michael Peña are what drive the Ant-Man series. And oh, I just, yeah. I still think that Ant-Man and the Wasp is the pinnacle of all things MCU, where it's the best and worst of everything they they churn out. It's like the perfect example of yeah. any critique you would have, as, but it has the propulsion of Rudd and Pena that make it still enjoyable. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't... And, and then, listen, they could still mess with stuff. I mean, did you watch the season finale of Loki yet? I have not seen it yet, no, so okay. don't spoil it on me. I watched it yesterday. Yeah. Now, that's yeah. a series that I tweeted this out, that it was the one I was looking forward to the least, mm-hmm. and I ended up enjoying it the most out of all the MCU shows so far. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. really does something different and interesting and makes you think, and it's fun, and it's got adventure. That's what I'm looking for from the MCU. They, it can be done. That yeah. A much, that Loki series blows this film out of the water. Well, so let's, I also, I, I, and just to, to kind of take a step back, I've really enjoyed all the Marvel films. Like, I mean, all the Marvel series, I, to some level, I thought they were all very, you know, good to great. Like I thought Falcon and Winter Soldier was a good, solid action franchise. It didn't, wasn't anything mind blowing, but I thought WandaVision and Loki are, are fantastic. And I think that shows what the kind of moving into Disney plus a lot of that stuff they got coming out there is more exciting to me than the films. Right. And what they're doing kind of leading into, and I haven't seen the last one, but I'm assuming the leading into Dr. Strange and the, and the, you know, in the multiverse of madness and what they're going to do with Spider-Man. I think that's all kind of tied together. And I think that's good that this will actually maybe break them out of a little bit and give them to the point where like, okay, you kind of got the background here with this show. Now we can kind of go all out because we don't have to hold your hand quite as much as we've had to in the past. And maybe that's really what it's going to take. So we'll see. It, it makes me wonder with the with phase four, how in, integral that the series, the Loki series is, because it does yeah. set up a lot, particularly in that yeah. last step, especially if you know 
what's happening and who right. the characters are, I right. think it um, has an even greater impact. We've got a lot to talk about yet, Matt. <laughs> so a couple of the things I want to touch on with, with sure. Black Widow. The Russian accents, not terribly consistent and not terribly good most of the part. And the most yeah. frustrating thing is you actually have Olga Kurenko in this film, an actual mm. Russian actress <laughs> who barely gets any lines. And right. then you factor in the grand mystery of Taskmaster, right. which is easily figured out like within the first like 10 minutes or so of yes. the film. Let's say, right. too, that Kate Shortland, who did direct the film, that opening when they're in the States and we have young Black Widow and young yeah. Florence Pugh is probably the best part of that whole film. Yeah, I mean, it's that exciting. works very effective. Yeah. And uh but just a couple th- and after that it just kind of just moseys along. Like I said, fumbles the taskmaster thing. It doesn't use Olga well at all. You know, I will praise Pew. I think she's great. I think she's able to handle the action, the intensity, the humor, and the emotion of being um vulnerable and yet this force, mm-hmm. you know, in the film. I think she's fantastic in that. And I hate to say it, an improvement over Scarlett Johansson's character. I so I'm curious to see Pew going forward in, in the seri- in the uh, greater MCU proper. Um, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts about any of that stuff? Anything else you Yeah, so the actual film itself, as we, instead of talking about Marvel broadly, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is a, a fantastic... I, I'm probably grading it a little, a little easily than I should just because it's kind of like the first big blockbuster I've seen in the film that I've actually since the movie, since COVID, since I came back, I had a good time watching it. I always feel that you're right. I think Florence Pugh is much better than Scarlett Johansson because Scarlett Johansson's always played Black Widow as kind of this smirking, kind of cool thing. Whereas, you know, Florence Pugh is kind of snarky and she seems like she has a real character or like a real personality. Whereas Black Widow never really seemed to have much of a personality. And I, I Rachel Weisz's uh, accent is terrible. Uh, although I do like Rachel Weisz, I love David Harbour so much in this. Like he's like he's just over the top. Like he watched you know Ivan Drago over and over and over until he could get the the actual the accent right. I adored the David Harbour kind of energy that he brought to this thing. But I think overall, I think you're right. The beginning of this is really really solid. I thought it was really good. The rest of it is kind of middling, and it's, the story's kind of muddled, and the action's not great. Um, but I think where this thing kind of lives and dies is these kind of these side characters that they've introduced. And I think they did, they hit it out of the park with, with Florence Pugh and her Yelena. And um, I really personally really enjoyed David Harbour a lot. Um, so I would love to see more red guardian popping up every now and again somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other thing, just to kind of address the other controversy, I think they completely ruined taskmaster, not for what everybody's upset about, but kind of making taskmaster this blank victim kind of thing like that's mm-hmm. just forget that like i mean ta- that's not what he's supposed to be he's supposed to be you know this kind of badass mercenary a la you know deathstroke or deadpool or something like that and they just completely throw all that out where he's just like this the terminator kind of thing you know where he doesn't say anything and it's like whatever like i didn't i didn't like that at all that was a missed opportunity and then we're, and it sucks because we're not going to see him again yeah, I, I always enjoyed that character, too. I think I first saw him in, uh, I was reading Mark Grunewald's uh, Captain America run. It was the first time I saw Taskmaster. And I always thought mm-hmm. it was a cool design. And I yeah. love that he can mirror the abilities or the the moves and stuff of other people. And I, yeah, yeah no, I think it, I, you're right. I think that's a wasted opportunity. Maybe somebody else will take on the mantle of the yeah. Taskmaster. Who knows? 
But uh, you're right. I think that's what that was a missed opportunity as well. A couple other uh, brief things about it. How does she get away from Ross at the end? They don't address that ever, right? I didn't miss something in a, one of the former films. Uh, I don't think well, that's ever, I looked online and I didn't see anywhere where that was addressed. That's It's like still an open question. So she surrenders to mm-hmm. the government at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then the next film is her breaking everybody out of the raft. Yeah, so I thought... I thought what it was was because she brought down the I thought what I, I thought they said something to the effect of that she was kind of banking on the goodwill that she would get from Ross for bringing down the red room and kind of taking down this kind of this whatever she all the heroic stuff she did is going to buy her some goodwill to get her a pass to like okay you know, don't do it again. And then, you know, they let her go and then she kind of dyes her hair blonde and then goes and frees everybody. Anyway. Breaks everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. And then two more things that jumped out at me that I thought it was weird. They used to, they used to word, they used to, the, the dirty bad word for poo, like a lot in this film. It really jumped out at me. Mm. Every time somebody dropped, said the word shit, it was odd. I'm right. not sure. He called a shit poop, but I don't know. It was just, <laughs> it was odd to hear like, I, yeah. I counted. I was actually counting. There were like seven times that it was used, which I thought was weird. I don't that remember that weird. happening that frequently in an MCU film before. It's getting dirtier. It's getting more real. <laughs> trying to appeal to the adults, getting the yeah, to get that Zack Snyder influence. After all, that's right. It's James Gunn. So, all right, the thing did pretty well. I went on a Monday night Dolby screening, Matt, and my yeah. theater was pretty packed. Yeah. So it made 219 million globally, uh, 80.4 here, 78.8 internationally, and then 60 mil Disney Plus Premier Access. Now, of course, that doesn't count how many viewers, right? You got a family of four, that's four people, but you're only paying the 30 bucks to watch it. So I guess, can we finally say cinema is back, huh? Yeah, I think it's kind of moving in the right direction. I mean, I think we've got a big slate of big films coming out, and we'll see how they all do, but I think you're right. I think... uh, Things are starting to normalize. Knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how that all goes. All right. What are your thoughts on Black Widow, Matt? I ended up giving it a C plus. Uh, it's a little harsh, Chris. I think it's a little harsh. Um, I'm gonna give it a B. And that's probably I'm probably being gentle. Ask me in a year, uh, if I still think it's a B film, but I think based on what we've just went through, I think it's what we needed at this point. Fair enough. Shoot us an email, feedback at thefirstrun.com. What are your thoughts on Black Widow? Matt, coming up on Blu-ray and DVD this upcoming Tuesday, July 20th. Ooh, we're just days away from my birthday. Who's excited? I know I am. Well, it's one, Matt. I picked it up. I got my 4K early. I am so excited. Let's take a listen. This is the road to Potter's Bluff. Maybe you've been there. Clean, picturesque full of old-fashioned friendliness the kind of town everyone likes to visit this is the road to potter's bluff there is no road out welcome to potter's bluff from the creators of alien terror brought down to earth dead and buried is there any way whatsoever to reanimate people after they have died to get them to walk around. That guy, the one you, you came to see me about last week, the one that died after the car wreck. Yeah. I just saw him. Man, he's dead. It's the same guy. Welcome to Potter's Bluff. 
When you die, you expect to remain dead and buried. That's right, folks. 1981's Dead and Buried is getting a 4K release from Blue Underground, directed by Gary Sherman, featuring James Farentino and Melody Anderson, Jack Albertson. Uh, one of my favorite horror films from the 80s. It's got a weird certain charm to it and some really creepy moments. Um, written by Dan O'Bannon, of course, along with Ronald Chestnut, but Dan O'Bannon, of course, responsible for Alien, the script for that one. So if you haven't seen Dead and Buried, it's great, If you especially like 80s horror. They have three different covers, lenticular covers, Matt, one that replicates the actual movie poster, which I understand seems to be the hottest one. I think you can find them on eBay already for crazy prices. There's one where there's a needle going into a patient's eye. That was the one I got because I have a weird thing about eyes. It always freaks me out. There's another guy where a guy gets uh, uh, tied to a post and burned alive. So uh, you can get either one of those three or all of them. You get a brand new 4K 16-bit restoration for the film. There's a new Dolby Atmos audio track, a new audio commentary, some behind-the-scenes featurettes, interviews, and includes this limited edition, includes a CD soundtrack, Matt. So, Dead and Buried 4K. You know, last week, it was last week, the week before, we talked about Werewolves Within, and I said this would pair great would Scare Me, that film that was mm-hmm. on Shudder. You know why? Yeah. Why? Same director. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Josh Rubin, I was doing some notes and looking at some stuff. I'm like, wait a minute. That's why I, just, I thought these would pair well so together, because it's from the same guy. So also coming up on July 20th, Matt, Spiral from the Book of Saw. This is the latest film with uh, Chris Rock and Sam Jackson. So you can pick that up. Uh, there's a steel book, I may or may not have said. Uh, Barbara Crampton stars in the uh, vampire film Jacob's Wife. That's supposed to be very good, pretty scary. So I want to check that out. The Birthday Cake featuring Ewan McGregor and Lorraine Bracco. On the 10th anniversary of his father's death, Giovanni reluctantly accepts the task of bringing a cake to the home of his uncle, a mob boss, for a celebration. Just two hours into the night, Gio's life is forever changed. Alexander Daddario stars in Die in a Gunfight. In New York City, a young girl falls for the daughter of his father's nemesis. Features audio commentary with a director, producer, and writers. Initiation. Wilton University unravels the night. A star athlete is murdered kicking off a spree of social media slayings that force students to uncover the truth behind the school's hidden secrets and the horrifying meaning of an exclamation point, which is not good for me because I use exclamation points entirely too much in my emails and texts and stuff. The Russian film Fire is being released from Shout Factory, a heroic story about firefighters and rescuers. What we call an act of bravery is just a usual routine for them if only one can get used to the mortal danger and extreme risk. When people in distress seem to have nobody who may help them, rescuers come to fight against merciless forces of nature. Magnolia is releasing Held. A couple's ailing marriage is put to the test when they are held hostage in an isolated vacation rental by an unseen voice that commands their every move. Wellgo USA is releasing Hydra. Not that Hydra. Hydra is a small bar in the middle of Tokyo. There, Takashi's standoff guy working where he hides another identity, Matt, as a highly skilled hitman. He now has to face a brutal killing game that he has been pointed as a target. Man, that was really tortured. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing La Pesquine, or The Swimming Pool. I think I got that right. A blissed-out summer holiday on the Cote d'Azur is interrupted by an arrival of an old acquaintance and his 18-year-old daughter unleashing a gathering tidal wave of sexual tension, jealousy, and sudden violence. A brand-new 4K restoration of the film, an English-language version of the film as well, known as First Love Never Dies. 50 years later, a 2019 documentary about it, new interview, uh, archival footage, and more. Did you hear rumors, Matt, that Criterion is getting into the 4K game? 
and then our announcement they? is imminent. Wow! So you'll be buying, you know, rebuying their new 4Ks that are going to be like you know seventy-five to one hundred dollars. Right? No, I don't think so. I don't see the point in. If I have a Blu-ray, I'm not upgrading to 4K unless it's a really something big like The Shining, the thing I upgraded. But I have not done a lot of upgrades in 4Ks. If I had a DVD of it previously, no Blu-ray, yes. Yeah. But if I'm going blue to 4K, it's got to be something special like the Star Wars movies. Right. Um, I'm going to pick and choose on those Star Trek 4Ks that were announced as well. Yeah, I'm not gonna like. I'm not gonna pick up three and five. A motion uh, picture. I will. Do they do oh, the director's cut? Mm. They're, they're, they 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 just announced two weeks ago or so that they're doing a 4K restoration of the director's cut of the motion picture. I wouldn't do. I don't think I'd bother with the uh, theatrical version since I have it in Blu-ray. What else is coming out there for the fine folks at home? Shout is releasing Little Big League. That's the one about the 12-year-old boy who inherits the Minnesota Twins. New interviews with the actor Luke Edwards and Timothy Busfeld. Shot Factor is releasing Eight-Legged Freaks. Now, I never watched this, even though I love Spider movies, because I just have this big disdain for David Arquette. But uh, I didn't realize that Kari Wurr is in Eight-Legged Freaks. So now I may have oh. to check it out. That's one oh. of my big first crushes growing up was Kari Wurr. And I went to college with her cousin, her brother. No, I went to college with a guy who was best friends with her brother. And okay. he used to hang out with her and see her every now and then. Oh, nice. Lucky son of a gun. <laughs> Shout Factor is also releasing A Stranger is Watching, the 11-year-old daughter and girlfriend of a man whose wife has been raped and killed in front of his daughter three years later, or earlier, are kidnapped by the same killer. Held captive at a bunker below the Grand Central Station, the two plot their escape while the police try to track their kidnapper. A brand new 2K restoration from the inner positive, a new introduction by the director, Sean Cunningham. You all know Sean Cunningham, right? The guy who brought us Friday the 13th. And more. Lionsgate is releasing The Wraith. This is that uh, Charlie Sheen killer demon car movie. Yeah, it was like kind of, was it a car or was it a motorcycle? I thought it was a car. Maybe it is a car. I can't remember. It's been a long time. I barely remember even seeing this. And it was like 12 bucks. And I so I bought it. I pre-ordered it. So we'll let you know when it comes in. Uh, audio commentary with the writer-director as well as some actors and a bunch of new interviews and more. Severn is releasing Siege, also known as Self-Defense. During a police strike in Nova Scotia's capital city, a gang of hoodlums end up unintentionally causing the owner of a gay bar to be killed. This escalates to a string of murders with a lone survivor trying not to be next. Brand new 2K restoration from the original camera negative. Two cuts of the film, the theatrical 84-minute cut and extended 93-minute one as well, and a limited edition slipcover. Severn is also releasing Born from Hell, loosely based on the notorious Richard Speck murders. This is the grim tale of a disturbed Vietnam vet terrorizing his home via Belfast, who invades a house shared by eight nurses and proceeds to terrorize and murder them. New 2K restoration from the original uncut 35mm print and some other making of featurettes also includes the U.S. video release cut known as Naked Massacre. Severn is also releasing Skin Deep, includes a Blu-ray and CD of the soundtrack. A family vacation is turned to a nightmare when they are abducted by a family of deranged killers in this Texas Chainsaw-style comedy, sci-fi, horror, thrill, romantic drama. Really nailed them all there. I guess we're missing, what, documentary and western. A new 2K restoration from the original camera negative there. Deep cuts, a look back on Skin Deep with the uh, writer, producer, and actors, and audio commentary and more. Scorpion is giving us the Time Guardian. In the distant future, the human race nears extinction, Matt, and a new race of beast-like creatures rule the Earth. 
The few surviving people live in the city, a huge protected construction with the ability to travel in both space and time. The city travels back to our time to try and save humanity. Brand new 2K restoration from the inner positive on that one. MVD Visual is releasing The Go-Go Boys, the inside story of Canon Films, with a limited edition slipcover of that first pressing. Warner Archive is releasing Take Me Out to the Ball Game from 1949, step-by-step step from 46. I Wouldn't Be in Your Shoes from 48. Bye Bye Birdie from Sony, featuring Dick Van Dyke, Janet Lee, and Anne Margaret is being released. They're also releasing Pal Joey, featuring Rita Hayworth, Frank Sinatra, and Kim Novak. Kinomad has a bunch of stuff coming out. Thunderbolt from 1929, Unconquered from 1947, The Plainsman from 1936, those last two featuring Gary Cooper, and then some Claudette Colbert films, The Gilded Lily from 1935, The Bride Comes Home from 1936, some Jean Renoir films, Nana from 26, and Whirlpool of Fate from 25, and then some uh, more propaganda films, 633 Squadron and Mosquito Squadron as a double pack, as well as Girl Gang and Pie Down Girl from 51 and 54 as a double pack as well. We're almost done, Matt. Flight to Mars from 1951 from Film Detective. Four scientists and a newsman crash land on Mars and meet Martians who act friendly. Brand new 4K restoration of that with an audio commentary and new documentary shorts. All the soft films, Matt, are getting repackaged with digital copies. So you get new covers for those if you'd like. 4K releases for the first time, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, and G.I. Joe Retaliation. If you wanted to upgrade those, just action classics. And then your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, Matt, is Shark Huntress. Seeking revenge for her environmentalist mother's death, Sheila ventures into the deep sea to battle the plastics injury and a bloodthirsty shark. Not sure if they're working together, though. What should we be streaming this week? So Just Available is a film that we reviewed earlier... Earlier this year, um, late last year, it's uh, a film that's very strange. I think it's tangentially connected to Adam McKay, uh, but it's Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar is available on Hulu for your streaming pleasure. Stars uh, Kristen Wiig, Annie Momolo, Jamie Dornan, and a cast of others, two 40-something kind of housewives, well, not even wives at this point, just kind of... These kind of uh, one's a uh, widower and one's a divorcee, if I remember. That's correctly. right. That's correct. Yes. Um, these two kind of middle-aged um, milk toast women from the Midwest decide to go to the lovely Vista del Mar on the Gulf Coast of Florida because it is paradise, and they discover who they are. Well, there's a pot, possibly a plot with uh, someone trying a James Bond villain trying to wipe it off the map. It's a funny, weird, strange little film. I love that movie. Yeah, it was so much fun. So yeah, if you haven't checked out that, check it out. I mean, just Tommy Bahama alone. I mean, there's so <laughs> many great moments in that movie. You will not be disappointed. But like Matt said, you got to get in a particular mood to watch it because that film, as the kids say, is a vibe. Mm, it certainly film. is. So, yeah. All right, Matt. Let's keep rolling. Then spend a few minutes talking about Pixar's latest. Shuffled off to Disney Plus. Did not get a theatrical release. Was that the right decision? We'll discuss that and more. Was we review Luca? Mm-hmm. Out of towners, eh? Let me welcome you, Benvenuti a Portoroso, Chicho. I'm delighted to meet you, number one. And number two, I love your stylish clothes. What did you get them? A dead body. <laughs> dead body. I'm kidding. Uh, look, Signor Vespa. Signor Vespa. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> I am Marco Levisconti, five-time winner of the Porto Rosso Cup. 
The Portoroso what? The Portoroso cap! Per mille sardine, how do you think I paid for my beautiful Vespa? Hey, oh. stop looking. She's too beautiful for you. Hey, leave them alone! Hop on. Go start a club for losers! Man, that sounds like something that would happen to me. Starting a club for losers. Oh, here we are. <laughs> Oddly enough. <laughs> So Luca is the latest from Pixar, available exclusively on Disney Plus, but not part of their premier access, Matt. This is just <laughs> included in your subscription. And it's a film about Luca, who is a young boy sea monster, who basically when he gets on land, he's able to assume a human form. He meets another kid, Alberto. And it's them kind of discovering themselves and growing and all this stuff in the Italian Riviera in the 50s or 60s, something like that. And really, Matt, it's about being yourself and having people accept and love you for who you are. It's one of those coming-of-age summer-type movies, I think refreshingly set in Italy. I don't know why I enjoyed the location so much, but I did. And uh, yeah, it's for me, Matt, it was a heartwarming, if not slight, Pixar entry that I think really was best served showing up on Disney Plus. I don't think it's theatrical release worthy. Is that a thing? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's a little weird. I don't know why um, all these Pixar movies are going straight to Disney Plus without any kind of premiere access or anything like that because they did this for Soul. Um, was there a lot of promotion I, on this either? I really didn't hear anything about I mean, Soul had a big push, I thought. This yeah. one... I didn't really not really. I know I know they have a partnership with McDonald's and doing Happy Meal toys and stuff because I see commercials for it every now and again. But um, I I don't know. I think that's all I can really think of as far as you know the push for this. But it's kind of weird what they're doing with with Pixar films because like that last Disney animation film, Raya and the Last Dragon, which I haven't seen yet. I think it's just gone to regular Disney Plus now. But I didn't. I wasn't going to pay premiere access to go see that. I don't know why they're doing that though with their films but not pixar's films hmm, i'm not sure i i hadn't seen that i'm probably catch up with that too but mm -hmm. yeah do, do you think the film would have done well it was theatrical i'm sure with the kids and stuff you had that built-in yeah. audience yeah but for me like i said i felt this was kind of a slight pixar entry what do you think yeah i felt it's like it's not top shelf pixar i mean it's it's like you said it's it's a heartwarming um enjoyable film but it's not particularly heavy it's it is kind of like a confection um i think it would have done well especially as people are moving back to the theaters i think especially you know parents looking to get their kids out of the damn house um so i guess i'm kind of surprised they didn't put it in the theaters but i'm okay with it i guess i mean i got to see it without, without having to leave my house so there's something so that's 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 good matt i'm glad you we were able to do that for you Thank you. So what do you think of the animation style? I thought the they continue to improve this thing, but this seemed to be more of a a meld of different styles to me. Mm -hmm. So the backgrounds, the particularly the water, which as a failed artist, I can't tell you how hard it is to paint water. I'm mm -hmm. assuming animating it is even harder. Right. And but the backgrounds, the cityscapes, all the all the environments looked incredible looked live action to me basically mm -hmm. and the but the animation style of the characters were different it was reminiscent to me of stop motion animation mm -hmm. you know almost like a what's that studio that does like Coraline and the box trolls why am i blanking on the name of it yeah i'm blanking on the name of it too but i, I know what you're talking about like it 
Mm-hmm. So um, the the character animations had that kind of stop motion Leica almost look to them as well, and mm-hmm. I guess they tried to go with a hand drawn also meld of the Leica Miyazaki type thing in regards to the characters and stuff. And I thought it was interesting, and I liked that that juxtaposition those two different styles of the ultra realism of the environment with the Leica you know, Miyazaki character design. I, mm-hmm. I really initially I, th- I thought it was a little weird and off. I didn't care for it, but as the film progressed, I actually really got into it and enjoyed it. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, not even just the animation, but the the character designs themselves seem kind mm-hmm. of a bit of a throwback. Um, it doesn't look like kind of what Pixar has been moving to or kind of what you're used to seeing. So I was a little jarring at first, but I think it fits pretty well with this with this film. So um, I can't besmirch them trying something a little different. What do you think too? Another issue I had with it that i don't know if issues the right word just a thing i noticed is unlike the pixar films like soul and other stuff it had they all have content for for mom and dad Mm -hmm. right they have the jokes that land that we get as air quotes mature adults that don't hit as well or land as well with the kids and this Mm -hmm. film kind of seemed mostly devoid of that Mm mm-hmm which I think and maybe adds to the slightness that I feel it has. And it feels yeah. more, as you said, confectionary. This is more of a kid's film than right. an entire family film. Right. No, I agree with that. I think, you know, I noticed that it didn't have some of those kind of deeper themes or jokes that uh, people would have. I mean, there's no um, kind of, it seems like everything that they're kind of putting on the surface is really all there is. It's only, you don't have to look any deeper than any of that for that. And it certainly doesn't challenge you or anything like that. So... Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think it's, um, I, th- I think maybe that's on purpose, obviously. Sure. Maybe, I think Pixar seems to do these kinds of things every now and again where they just kind of, they release like a heavy film and then they'll kind of release something kind of more airy for yeah. the kids. Clara, did you, uh, did did uh, Junior First Run watch this with you or no? Or First Run Junior? So I was with my niece and nephew. They put it on. So I started to watch it um, with them when they put it on, but then they all got bored and left. So um <laughs> It was just me on the couch watching it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I think in the end, like you said, it's a bit of a slight film. It's for the kids. I think it does still have a nice message for them, which is people like you for you, even if you're a sea monster. So just be yourself. I think it doesn't usually have it doesn't have the wit and bite of the usual Pixar films do, but it's it, and it's innocuous and it's a fine experience for the kids. And I think that's about it. I liked the Uncle Ugo jokes. And I enjoyed Maya Rudolph as Daniela, as the mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess Gaffigan played his dad. But uh, still, good, solid, entertaining. But, you know, it's not made for me. So right. I ended up, though, giving Luca, uh, I guess I, I, I got a C plus again for uh, Luca. Yeah. I just, I think if I do it on a grade where it's for the kids and stuff, then I would say it's almost a BA film, right? For kids specific entertainment. Sure. But through an adult lens. I, I'm never going to watch this again. Yeah. I'm going to give it a B minus. Um, I'm not as jaded as Chris. Um, so I think there's enough here to, you know, if it caught, if it was on and I sat down and watched it, I wouldn't be bad at myself. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm glad you're not beating yourself up over it. That's good. I try not to. Smart. So if you had a chance to see Luca, as we said, again, uh, currently available on Disney Plus, but only part of your regular subscription, no premier access needed. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up, five characters, MCU characters, who deserve their own film. I'm really pleased with myself with this list. And, of course, I put some restrictions on myself, as I always do, 
to try and make things as difficult as possible. So uh, let's take a listen, though, for, I don't know, something. Loki, I thought the world of you. I thought we were going to fight side by side forever, but at the end of the day, you're you and I'm me. I don't know, maybe they're still good in you, but let's be honest, our paths diverged a long time ago. for the best that we never see each other again. That's what you always wanted. Hey, let's do get help. What? Get help. No. Come on, you love it. I hate it. It's great. It works every time. It's humiliating. Do you have a better plan? No. We're doing it. We are not doing get help. Get help! Please! My brother's dying! Get help! Help him! Oh, classic. I still hate it. It's humiliating. No, not for me, it's not. Uh, one of the finest moments in the MCU. Get help. <laughs> of course, from Thor Ragnarok. Matt, all right. So here's my here are my rules for myself. A, I think this is pretty obvious, is it can't be anybody who's definitely coming. All right? Right. I gave Doctor, myself that same rule. All right. Dr. Doom, no, out the door. Silver Surfer, clearly, I think, is going to show up at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think outside of that, it looks like, and this is no big spoilers or anything because they announced this as Doctor Strange with the Doctor Strange stuff. Like, I think Kang is going to be our main guy in Phase mm-hmm. Four. Okay. And I think next is going to be Galactus. I think is okay. where we would go next. Okay. So that's why I think Surfer's out. Uh, and then I couldn't use people that I wanted to because I thought they were short shrifted, like Deathlock and Agents mm-hmm. of Shield. I think mm-hmm. that would be good, but he showed up in Agents of Shield, right? So um, I mean, you could kind of weasel around it and say, well, they do a real version for the movies, like a different guy, maybe, right? But I still excised that as well. So those were my rules. So do you have anything else? Yeah, my only rules were if I was going with a character, obviously not not anybody even that we thought we coming or that we knew were coming. So like if they were coming in a um, Disney Plus series, I kind of jettison them to. Yep. But I didn't put the restriction on necessarily like if they were already in something like they couldn't come back. So, so you would like do a Taskmaster thing? Yeah, that would have been a good example. Um, but I didn't put Taskmaster down, but that would have been an, a decent example. Fair enough. All right. Start us off, Matt. What is number five for you? All right. So my number five, um, I just got done gushing about him, but I'm going to say David Harbour and the Red Guardian. I want to see more of that 80s stuff. I want to see what like led to him being incarcerated in a, in a Russian gulag. I think it would be hilarious like if they did a Disney Plus show where he's always trying to catch up with Captain America, but he just misses him like everywhere <laughs> he goes. Um, so yeah, I would like to see David, David Harbour's Red Guardian. I think that could be a fun show, especially if they kind of did it with a, a little bit of a light, humorous tone like back in the 80s. That would be a lot of fun. I would watch that show. My number five is 1950s Captain America. If you're not familiar with him, uh, he's a guy basically what he was able to convince the government to give him a super soldier serum that wasn't, but he didn't get the Vita Ray treatment as well. Okay. Uh, But he was so crazy and obsessed that he had plastic surgery make himself look like Steve Rogers as well. But him and Bucky got the serum, but they didn't get the Vita Rays, the whatever. And then they became mentally unstable and went crazy. And then at one point in the comics, they actually led like a white nationalist front type thing too. They became Nazis. Okay. Yeah. And then, so I think, but we do that with 1950s cap. But what you do is you have a younger um, Isaiah Bradley. 
so uh, come in as to try and stop him. Um, and then we have that issue as well. So now you have the uh, the black Captain America fighting the Nazi Captain America, and uh, I just I just I don't know. It's something that my little political uh, heart would absolutely love to see uh, is something like that. So yeah, never happened in a million years. No. Well, I think they. I especially agree after they chickened out on the um, Cap and Winter Soldier thing, where they mm. made Wyatt Russell's John Walker character. They tried to redeem him by mm-hmm. the end of the show and make him U.S. agent. Well, he was always U.S. agent, though. I know, but even in the comics, though, he went crazier than he does in the mm-hmm. show. Oh, true. But maybe they're building up to that. Maybe we'll get more of villainous U.S. agent. I hope so. I, I liked it better yeah. when he was just, yeah, I don't know. I just like the idea of this, you know, crazy Nazi right. Captain America having to be taken <laughs> right. down. Right. So anyway, all right, that was my five. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So my number four, and I think we're kind of approaching this in a different way. So this is an interesting set of lists. But my number four would have been, I would love to see more of Kate Blanchett's uh, Hella. Um, mm. Like maybe do um, some stuff back, um, like ancient Asgardian stuff. I just thought she was so much damn fun. Um, or, you know, we never really know where she was banished to. What does that look like? You know, seeing her take out... Uh, the Valkyries and the Tessa Thompson's character and all that kind of stuff. So I thought I really enjoy Kate Blanchett a lot. I like her. Um, I'm quite a fan. So I think Hela or Hela would be a, a good uh, addition to kind of see uh, have an MCU show based off of her. That would be, I think. Um, and we are, we do have two different lists because mine are characters who have not shown up yet in any capacity in the MCU. Okay. And all mine are periphery characters that I think should kind of be expanded out. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right, that's what happens, folks, because we we don't compare a list ahead of time to have a surprise factor, and yeah. then stuff like this happens. Every time. <laughs> so my number four then is this: she may show up, but there's been no I've heard no rumblings whatsoever. Is a uh, black cat? You do a heist film, and you introduce Silver Sable, so right. then we get both of them. So yeah, right. the black cat she goes to what uh, some big art art heist, but she steals from the wrong person. And then she has to hire or try and get Silver Sable to help protect her. And they uncover some other big dastardly plot to rule the world or who knows. Or keep it small. Maybe just keep it small. But I think it'd be a lot of fun to get to, to team up both Spider-Man. I don't know. I guess are they are they heroes? I know Black Cat is a little bit of an anti-hero. And I think Sable is more of a mercenary at times. But yeah, yeah I just like the idea of the two of them teamed up. To take out, I don't know who yet. I hadn't worked out that detail yet, but I would, I would be fun to see a, a heist spy kind of film with uh, Black Cat and Silver Sable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be good. That would be good. I think, I think, aren't they? Do, I think they are doing something. Although I don't know if it's MCU. I think it's, it's, it's Sony. I think they may have be doing something with the. Twitter. I had heard rumblings of that a while ago, like years mm-hmm. ago, and then I mm-hmm. think nothing's progressed. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. So my number three is um, fleshing out the character of Korg and Meek, um, the rock monster and the bladed bug man from uh, Thor um, Ragnarok, um, voiced by Taika Waititi. I think to kind of just steal the Taika Waititi idea, I think it would be hilarious if they kind of made it something like um, what we do in the shadows where you just kind of follow the two of them as they live in Norway um, and see what the hell they get up to as they move around through the Asgardians and um, stuff like that. I think it would be rife for uh, kind of parody and something kind of more lighthearted and fun. And um, we can always use more Taika Waititi in our life. That's true. 
uh, though I'm starting to feel a bit of a backlash against him. I think people are a little, I don't know, I detected a little bit of that on uh, film Twitter the other day. Oh, really? Well, I did see that he was he was definitely calling out, because uh, they just did the Euro Cup, and the English fans have been kind of... Uh, not very well representing themselves on the mm. world stage and like being like the living up to the soccer hooligan kind of image that they have. And he was, he was really uh, leaning into him about it. Um, he was really given, he was really sniping at them a lot and getting them all riled up. So um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why from a, a film Twitter perspective, but I do know that the, the country of, of England is not happy with him right now. Good for him. Yeah. So uh, did you see the Korg Deadpool trailer view of um free guy i haven't i haven't seen it yet no it's pretty fun it's it's yeah. okay all right so my number three then is jessica drew slash spider woman mm. i think um what is she just works for shield at some point i think that's where we go we do with a break she's a she has this break from shield maybe she hunts down hydra agents i don't know but this feels like a character that um is perfect and ready to uh, get a star turn in the MCU, especially if they want to bring in more female characters. I think that she would be a fun one. She's got this crazy past. She has these unique abilities that I always thought were interesting where she's able to harness and shoot energy things from her hands as well as some of Spider-Man's abilities. Yeah. So, but a different origin, obviously. But I don't know. I always thought she was an interesting character and I would like to see, uh, plus one of the more interesting comic uh, costume designs I can, and it's it's one of those ones that just really sticks out at you. So I'd be curious yeah. to see what the MCU adaptation of that would be as well. I, as much as I was a fan of Spider-Man and all of his associated kind of adjacent characters, I was never a big fan of of Spider-Woman. If we got Spider-Man I, Woman, I would be much more interested in them doing a, a Gwen Stacy version of the Spider-Woman like we got in Spider-Verse. I think that would be much more interesting in my yeah. opinion. Very different character, but it yeah. would be interesting, yeah. All right, so my number two is he already appeared in um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I think he really deserves to get more and kind of put the bad taste of Nick Cage out of our mouth. But I would like to see uh, Robbie Reyes' version of the Ghost Rider kind of get something kind of up on the big mm-hmm. screen or much more expanded and helpfully with something with a lot more of a budget. Um, I thought that... I really enjoyed Ghost Rider a lot on as much way more than I thought I would on um, Agents of Shield, and I always thought um, Ghost Rider was a really cool character. I, he kind of uh, have a soft spot for him, so I, I would like to see them kind of flesh it out, and then maybe they could even do something like where they have, you know, they follow. There's been multiple Ghost Riders throughout history. Maybe they kind of focus on each one and do kind of an anthology type of thing. So that could be cool too. I think that'd be a good uh, Disney Plus series. Mm-hmm. To do yeah, I do too. Yeah. I would, I mean, that's one, talking about costume designs, that is one of the greatest, I think, too. Just the the biker outfit with the flaming skull head. Yeah. It just looks fantastic. And they really did a great job animating that in the uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show, for sure. Uh, My number two, then, my next two, I am desperate to have done. First up, though, number two is Captain Britain. And maybe, I don't know if I'd go full Excalibur, mm-hmm. but I would do something with Captain Britain and include like Union Jack, maybe the original Human Torch, Albert okay. Hammond. Is that, his, what is his name? I can't remember now, the original Human Torch, the robot one. Yeah. Uh, and I think even Namor is there. Throw in Cap America, I guess, if you want, but do some kind of Invaders or Excalibur version, sit in World War II, but they go up against like supernatural zo- Nazis. So okay. you have this nice action horror hybrid film 
with Cap America. I'm with Captain Britain, Union Jack. Um, what was the female's character? The um, is it Spitfire? I can't remember now. But uh, yeah, I that would be uh, I think a lot of fun. Yeah, I always thought Excalibur was so corny. I always thought mm. they were so corny. And isn't Captain Britain? Isn't his sister uh, Psylocke? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that, I would maybe, set this. This wouldn't be like that Excalibur, obviously, because okay. I'm setting it in World War II. Maybe like a Kingsman kind of thing. Sure. Give it that yeah. kind of a vibe. Yeah. Why not? That'd be cool. Yeah. Make it super ultra violent, where Cap- Captain Britain's punching through people's skulls in a somewhere <laughs> while he locks the door. Absolutely. That's been the costume design I always liked was both mm. Captain Britain's, the original version, and then the one from Excalibur, and then Union Jack is another another costume design I always thought was really cool. So, All right. There you go. All right. So my number one then is um, not even a superhero. He's a, just a regular guy. Um, and he's put upon and he does his best. And I think we could have like a cool X-Files series with him. But I'm talking about Randall Park's Agent Wu from WandaVision, from Ant-Man and the Wasp. I Randall Park's a lot of fun. I think he's a really great uh, character actor. And I think he could really lead out um, a show. But I think it would be fun if he was kind of going around investigating kind of superheroes that pop up. And I'm noticing that most of these are shows for the most part. But I, yeah. I'm really liking the shows a lot more than I'm liking the movies so far. So, yeah, my number one would have been Moon Knight. But we okay. are getting an Oscar Isaac show. Right. So right. that gets ticked off. So my number one then is a prestige... Watchmen-esque kind of level show, but obviously on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And it's Mark, I think it's Mark Grunewald's, and I f- forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. 12 issue run there of Squadron Supreme. Okay. Having a show of that where basically, now if you're not familiar with Squadron Supreme, they are Marvel's version of the Justice League. They have Hyperion as Superman, Nighthawk is Batman. Power Girl or Power Woman is Wonder Woman, right? The Wizard is the Flash. I mean, they're really just one-for-one replacements. And uh, Squadron Supreme, the the, the Grunewald series, is basically when they determine that the only way to save humanity is to establish a benevolent dictatorship where they run the world. And Nighthawk says no. And he leaves and he sets up a rebellion group to uh, try and take them down. And it is deals with some really weighty stuff from the like that was the mid 80s that series came out. But I remember being blown away by that. And I loved that 12 issue Squadron Supreme series. And I would love to see that. I don't I don't know if it's anything that would happen because I just don't know if there's enough MCU character awareness of it at this point. But they, right. did, they did a Guardians film, so you never know. But then I don't know if, if there's people like, oh, it's just it's just Superman and Batman. They're just ripping right. off. Though, granted, right. we had a whole phase of Thanos, which is just a rip off of Darkseid. But not still, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> not not can not according to the the world at large because they're more familiar with Thanos at this point than anybody is with Darkseid. Whatever. Anyway, that's my number one. <laughs> and I would I would just get just erase everything else in my list if I can get a Squadron Supreme series. I think it would be fantastic. Yeah, that is a deep cut. Maybe they'll get there someday. But like you said, we got a Guardians film and we're getting an Eternals film. So um I'm yeah. really curious to see how that how Chloe Zhao pulls that one out because the Eternals are weird. They're a weird <laughs> set of characters. So it will be very that interesting. Re- that really has a chance to be boring as all hell. So. It does. It does. I'm. I saw the the previews for that, and I'm like, mm, I'm. Not, I'm not sure. I'm. 
Uh, in first run parlance, I, I don't have any juice for it, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's going to look great, but that's about yeah. it's going to be the screensaver of a movie. Yeah. Uh, any honorable mentions for you? Not really. I, as much as I like Michael Pena, I couldn't figure out how to make a Luis show, but uh, if they could figure it out, it would be funny. <laughs> Absolutely. Obviously, the, the mainstays, the big ones, Doctor Doom. I'm desperate mm-hmm. to see it. And I'd like to see him get a solo film, too. Yeah. Alpha Flight, Beyonder, Silvermane, always was one of those weird Spider-Man that villains. Super weird, yeah. And then, it, is it weird we haven't had a Green Goblin even mention in the MCU as of yet? Like, even though there hasn't yeah. been a Harry Osborn no. or Norman Osborn mention at all. No, maybe we'll uh, get something with this third one. Maybe, or maybe that was part of the agreement. Yeah. That they, they yeah. can't. And then Hobgoblin, who I, I love. Havoc is my one of my favorite X-Men. Yeah. I think Kazar could be really interesting. Yeah. And uh, then finally, though I don't think it's... It's not Marvel proper, right? They just got the opportunity to publish the reprints of it is uh, Alan Moore's Miracle Man run, which I don't oh, think yeah. that would be. Interesting. I'd say they would never do that, but I guess... They've done um, Invincible is supposed to be of a similar vein, I guess, in some way, though I yeah. haven't watched it yet. Yeah. So, yeah, those are my honorable mentions. What do you think, folks? What MCU characters, periphery characters, or in my way, people that just haven't even been brought up yet in the MCU, do you want to see uh, get a film or I guess series, I guess is where we ended up for most of them? Mm-hmm. Shoot us an email at uh, feedback at the com. Come up next week, Matt. I don't know if you look at the calendar, but I've been pushing the Samurai Marathon back because there's so many things I want to see. Yeah, um, I saw that. We're, we're, we're slated, we'll see, to do Escape Room 2 and then The Tomorrow War, mm-hmm. which is the uh, Amazon Prime Chris Pratt uh, film there. We'll see about that. And then for the next week after that, Snake Eyes, and then The Green Knight, and then mm-hmm. Rat Suicide Squad. So okay. uh, we are getting there. And then me... It's good. You sound. Well, oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, I'm not very, I'm not super stoked for the next two weeks, but once Green Knight, I'm really excited for Green Knight and Suicide Squad. I really, I'm looking forward to those. Snake Eyes and Escape Room Two, uh, not so much. Although I did see some people on film Twitter say that Escape Room Two is great. I yes. actually enjoyed the first one. Did you? Yeah, as kind of a B horror film, I actually yeah. enjoyed it. Okay. So I am curious to see the second one. We'll see. As always, the calendar is rather fluid. So, uh, in the meantime, check us out at thefirstrun.com. Do a uh, head on over to YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you'll find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. We'll read it on the air and it'll help other people find the show. And then Matt Screen Run has wrapped. We did our flying car episode and then a rundown of the entire series, which of course was mm-hmm. reviewing all the films of Kevin Smith. Uh, the second season is set. Now we're just looking to line up guests. So if you're interested to be uh, part of that, you can shoot us an email here at feedback at the first run.com or there at, uh, I think it's screenrunfun at gmail.com. Uh, so you can always reach out to us there too. And that's it. So why don't we go ahead, Matt, take an extended break. Everybody, make sure you get vaccinated and uh, we will see you soon. I know you're here, Dracula! You big fucking nerd! Where's my goddamn money?